Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today I have an interview with Redskins defensive lineman Jonathan Allen. I also spoke with Paul Trott. You may not know his name, but he worked with Dwayne Haskins at an Elite 11 camp when he was in high school, stayed in contact with him, knows him very well, where he visited a practice and had some interesting things to say about what he observed about Haskins. I think you'll like that. And then I finish up with my thoughts on what I've seen from the Redskins practice over the first four days, plus a little barbecue tip. But first, my interview with Jonathan Allen. I want to explore some of what kind of makes you you, which is the competitiveness, the drive to win and all that. And I want to start off by like, where do you feel you get that from? Because there is a deep desire to win. Why? Where did you get that from? 100% my brother my dad. Most competitive people I've ever met in my life. I get it from them. How, like at an early age, what was going on? I've, I've read some of the stuff that you're brother would do with you guys and you know just to help you get ready but what do you remember about how they kind of prepared you and kind of helped develop that mindset um it wasn't anything in particular or one thing it was just that everything we did in life is a competition it doesn't matter cutting grass like literally everything you could think of especially having an older brother is a competition cutting grass i have older brothers we never competed to cut grass how do you compete to cut grass i cut the best grass (laughs) how do you determine that who's the judge uh, it usually be dad, but that's an odd test, and that's the thing I, I already know. I just know I'm the best one at it. <laughs> one of the things that I'm reading about you um, was just, like, because you have this fierce desire, did you have to learn how to use it in a positive way? Would it ever get in the way of your, you know what I mean? Like, in terms of, like, would you lose more control in a game than you'd want or anything like that? A hundred percent. I mean, you definitely got to learn how to control it, but... You got to learn how to play with an aggressiveness that helps you be a better player. But I mean, it's something we all have to learn. We all have to learn how to control our emotions, our everything, and just being competitive it makes it that much harder to deal with it. But if you can control it, it really helps you out. What do you remember too? Because like when you're you're, I think your brother's like seven or eight years older than you, right? So would you play football with those guys? Hundred percent, yeah. What do you remember about that? Dominating. I was big for my age, so I was always able to play with him and his friends. Is that when you start to know that maybe you could do something in that with football, or did you just, like, you just take it for what it is? Just take it for what it was and just play football. Nothing, I never thought it would be what it is now. Like I said, I have older brothers, too, and I remember playing against them, and you know, you don't really think twice about it, but how much fun did you have? If you're out there dominant and you're bigger than them, how fun was that? It was so fun. Like, <laughs> it, like to me, it was just football, and I love to do it. So it was just something that I enjoyed. Do you still compete with them all the time? How all the time. Like with what? Because video games, weightlifting, endurance—literally everything you can think of. And with the video, because I know you're a big video game guy. What's your go-to video game right now? What are you playing a lot? Madden 2K. It, literally anything that you compete in, I play it. Is that why you like those? 100. percent Who do you like to compete with? Any besides everybody? Is there someone in particular that you say I like going against this guy because? Either he always talks trash and I beat him or what? Not really. I just like competing. It doesn't matter what it is, who I'm going against. If there's, com- if there's competition involved in it, I love it. Yeah, Nick told me, Nick Turner was telling me that. That's, <laughs> Nick Turner. Yeah, so he was telling me that. Like, oh that's, he, yeah, so that's, I know that's your guy, but like he was saying that, yeah, you, you got to ask about the video games because that's, that's the thing. How, many t- how often do you play those games? Uh, before my wife graduated from college, 
like my I know my rookie year when I was hurt and I was at the whole house by myself probably like 13 hours a day. Really? How good yeah. were you? I was pretty damn good. I was pretty damn good. And you still play a lot? All, as much as I can now. I'm married, healthy, trying to do other things, but I still play quite a bit. But there's also, because there's, you know, there's a competitive side to it, but there's also something else that it allow you to kind of get away a little bit too when you're playing those games. 100% is super relaxed and super calm, and it just helps me get my, in a good mental space where I can just relax. One of the things too, like, coming from that Alabama system and when you were there I remember reading one thing when you were there about how like you guys would even have these arguments about which all high school all-star team would have beat you know yeah. what was that like what was that atmosphere like for you then just imagine having 85 alpha males who, who all think they're the biggest baddest and best all in one spot arguing I mean, it's intense, and there's honestly nothing like it. I mean, how did that make you guys? How much? How much better did that make you guys? Just because you have that kind of—I mean, it, make, it, it makes it, you great. Every there's not one thing you do at Alabama that's not a competition. Honestly, there's not one thing I can think of that's not a competition at Alabama. Like, wait, wait, is, how much? Did, when you talked to other guys, was it that much different from what maybe their experiences were? Uh, their experience as um, from in college because like I'm hearing your would other would other guys give you their experience was was similar to yours like at another school. I, I feel like there's always competition, but the level of competition at Alabama is just ridiculous. Is that because of all the five stars, or because of Saban, or why is that? All of the above. Because Saban falls competition every year. You having the number one player in your class, in your position coming in behind you. Like when I came in after my rookie year or freshman year, Deshaun Hand, the number one player in my position, came in after me competition like it's just so much competition that you can never you can never exhale one of those guys who was you know, there too was landing Collins you got him here now what does he add to this defense versatility a guy who can stuff the run play all over the great ball skills play all over the field and also a great leader and how so what how so do you where do you see that like what type of what's his leadership style uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't. I don't know how to answer that question. I mean, he's definitely a guy who's going to help us leadership-wise. But as far as leadership style, he's a guy who's going to do it the right way, and he'll let you know about it too. One of the things too, like you had, you know, you growing up, you moved around a little bit. You, you the foster home for for a spell. How did that shape who you are? Just my ability to adapt to change. How tough was that time for you growing up? It's tough, but like I said, everybody has their toughness, and I'm no different. You know, just. At what point do you realize that, though? Because if you're a kid, it's got to be really tough. But at what point do you realize, like, I just got to move out and make the best? Or was it something, you know, that you had to go through that people talked to you about? Or how do you get past that? I mean, you, you can only sit there and feel sorry for yourself for so long. So eventually you just got to move on and just take it for what it's worth. One of the things, too, in college you majored in financial planning because you wanted to make sure that whatever happened to other athletes or anybody with a lot of money doesn't happen to you was – how you know how is there are there business plans that you've developed or there's there a strategy that you have in mind for yourself to make sure something like that doesn't happen because not particularly i really did it just so i know and understand what's going on and, and you you can have an idea of when things aren't right and just know what's going on i mean there's a, i mean if you don't know what's going on it's easy to be aloof and sure. be taken advantage of and i didn't want to let that happen do you want to start do you have business ideas for yourself too uh not really. I really don't think of that. Think about okay. that. All my focus is going straight into football right now. You know, so I'll, maybe in the future, but as of right now, not really. Um, with on the field, where do you? What are the things that you want to? You're a guy who always wants to work on what his weaknesses are. What do? What have you spent time maybe looking at, working at for yourself? Just being in better shape, more lean, more conditioned. 
and um, just be more consistent of an athlete and a player overall. Do you feel you're getting there? Uh, 100%. I, feel, I definitely feel like I'm getting there, but I'll never get there to where I'll where I 100% want to be. But it, you're always chasing perfection, you know. And with this defense, because you look at this defense now, and there you got you got a lot of your Alabama guys there too. But what do you see in this group, and what can it become? We can be as good as we want to be. Number one, defense are the worst defense. We just got to go out there and put the work in and let our play do the talking, to be honest. And with, as far as the competitiveness, do you feel like you're able to start to foster some of that within your own group? And if so, how? Just like I say, it just goes back to competing, honestly. There's no secret sauce to it. Just you got to compete. Is there anything with the group that you guys compete at that people might find amusing? You know, whether it's, you know, anything. Uh... Honestly, not really. We're pre we're a pretty straightforward group. We want to dominate, kick ass. Yeah, pretty, pretty simple. Much, yeah, pretty simple. Is that like because when you when you were coming out of high school, that that's that Alabama mindset. I think people are fascinated by that because they always win. But how much were you seeking that sort of atmosphere? Did you already have that? Did you get it honed at Alabama? Do you know what I mean? I mean, on a, in the short answer, I just want to win. Whatever it takes to help any team I go to win, that's what I want to do. I hate losing. It sucks. I'm not going to tolerate it. And I'm not going to deal with it, honestly. When was there a time? Like, I had, I mean, having coached, I used to coach and all that, and I'd have kids who had handled losing poorly. Was there a time you remember where it was just like you just handled it, like, you know, just threw you for a big loop and you couldn't handle it? Or, but you know what I mean? Was there something growing up where it um, was just worse than another time where you realized how much you hate losing? I mean, obviously, all kids have to learn how to lose sure. respectfully, but. I mean, it's gonna happen in life, and you gotta learn how to handle it. You know what I mean? So, not not nothing in too particular that I can think of. But like I said, just take it for what it's worth and keep moving on. You're becoming one of the voices of this team, this defense. Do you like that? Uh, I mean, it doesn't bother me. I don't. There's not something I went out and see, saw it. But now that it's here, I'm just trying to take it for what it's worth. And like I said, if it's not helping this team win, I don't care about it. So that's literally where all my focus is going. Do you have a problem, like if you have to tell a guy something that, hey, we got to be doing better here, you got to get over here for this? Not at all. And, Not at do, all. Yeah. Do a lot, I mean, I'm assuming, I don't know that a lot of guys feel like that. Do you, I mean, do a lot of guys do that? You know what I mean? I think you seem to be kind of unique in some of those ways. Do you feel? In this world, there's alpha males, beta males, and charlie males. Which, which one you are determines a lot about your personality. I mean, hey, some guys just don't have it in them. There's nothing wrong with that, but. I, like I keep saying, just, I'm just trying to help this team win. And, yeah, yeah. One of the things I read, and I, just, I don't want to get too personal, but you had talked about an article was about with your mom. You said that you were still looking for her. Have you, have you been able, this was a couple years ago, so have you been able to find her and connect with her at all? No, not yet. Okay. Are you, no. Is that something you'd still like to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, then you, and with that, like your stepmom, I guess, was a pretty big influence in your life, too. I don't want to shortchange that at all, but like how big an influence for your dad, your stepmom? I mean, definitely. I mean, to me, they're my mom and my dad. Honestly, that's just how I look at it. And how what, with your dad? Like, were there were there some things you get the competitiveness? Was he always competitive with you too? Hundred percent. Everything we did always had to be the best. There's only one winner. Everyone else is a loser. All in my life. And last question: But you go to the defensive line. You go to Mickey Thompson in high school, and he tries you on offense at first, and you end up on defense. What do you remember? He talks about your hands. Do you? What do you remember about that experience? And I know I wanted to play running back and linebacker. Uh, like I said, it didn't work out. I did not want to play defensive line at first, but looking back at it, I mean, no one grows up wanting to be a defensive lineman. Like, honestly, no one wants to be a defensive lineman growing up. But I'm, I'm just glad it all worked out for me at the end. It certainly seems like it has. Sweet. All right, man, thanks. Thank Appreciate you. it. Coming up, my interview with Paul Troth, who once worked with Dwayne Haskins at Elite 11 camp 
and has some insightful things about what he saw when watching the Redskins practice. Welcome back. Here's my interview with Paul Troth talking about Dwayne Haskins. Now I'm here with Paul Troth. And Paul, you have worked with Dwayne for a while. First of all, why don't you fill people in? How long have you worked with him? So I've been fortunate enough to have Dwayne at our Elite 11 camp. Uh, I'm not his personal trainer. Right. I, I give all the credit to Quincy Avey for that. Um, and obviously Dwayne's father bringing him up and taking him to all the best camps in the country. But I was able to work with Dwayne for one session before an Elite 11 regional. And then just being around him throughout the process, staying in touch, social media, text. Um, just a great young man that we all try to connect with when they leave us at Elite 11. Right. Developing those relationships and trying to be a, you know, any one of our coaches is available to all these great quarterbacks coming up to, to be a reference, to be a sounding board for good and bad as they go through their careers. And we were talking on the sidelines earlier about that Elite 11 camp. I think it was after his junior year. Yep. And when I was talking to his high school coaches, they felt like that's when he blew up. But you knew going into that that he right. would blow up. Why is that? Uh, just the way he can throw the football. And it's not necessarily what the ball looks like. It's what he does before that. His, his mechanics are pure. He's smooth. There's not a lot of... Uh, unnecessary movements with him delivering the football when he knows where to go with it. Um, and then for us at Elite 11, where he really excelled was diving into the playbook on a short notice. I mean, for us at, at, at the camp, we, we challenged these guys in a three-month time frame to memorize a West Coast offense, and he was able to dive in it better than most. Why, why do Because like that's one of the things that I've always heard, and doing all my research stories I've written on him, they talk about his, his intelligence. Mm -hmm. So what's, why is it is it because he just works harder? Is it because he's just smarter? Where, where does that come from? I think his family's done a really good job of creating an atmosphere for Dwayne to be successful and um, maximizing his strengths, both physically and mentally. So he's a, type of, he's a kid, an outlier, who needs a challenge. And so when he's presented with a challenge, he excels. Um, I would equate it as a teacher, you know, if it's the kid that's kind of average in the class, but he's the average because it's boring to him. There's a lot of things that are boring to Dwayne. And so I, I'm interested to see how he handles boredom as an NFL quarterback from Sunday to Saturday. Um, is he able to, to challenge himself or the coach is able to challenge him to give him enough on his plate to dive in and, and excel? And it's funny you say because like the board, I mean, I don't think he's going to be bored anytime soon with Correct. how much he has Correct. to learn. So let's get to what you saw out here. So you were able to watch him out here in mm -hmm. Richmond. What when you're when you're watching him, what were you seeing? And a I general think, impression. I think he's living in a world of he has anticipatory skills as a passer, where he knows where a guy should be or he expects them to be. The timing is just off in these first two days of camp. Obviously, they haven't. Obviously, they haven't had a, an opportunity to, to gel this quickly, but uh, the good points I could see were, were him, you know, when he knows where to go with the ball, anticipating windows. That's something that, that not a lot of quarterbacks get looked at upon in, in a high school level or even college. It's throwing guys open. So once he's more confident, uh, I think those throws will be even more throughout training camp. I think that the, the coaching staff's done a good job of creating a, a variety of pure progression passing and coverage-based passing. Okay. So what we talk about with that is just pure progression is like reading a book. Your feet and your eyes are tied to the first receiver, then the second receiver, then the third. 
the challenge for Dwayne and talking to Coach O'Connell is going to be recognizing coverage-based passes and then eliminating certain receivers that are not, not in that coverage-based okay. passing. So um, early on, you could see there were some passes that were mixed with coverage-based reads, and then the pure progressions is where he's going to excel early on to where there's not a lot of thinking. It's just knowing where number one is, okay. where number two is, where number three is, and kind of falling, we call it falling into those big throws. So that's what you're going to see early on. As training camp progresses, you're going to see coverages change and, right. and, and teams are going to be showing blitz and getting guys lined up is going to be a premium for him. But early on, just the first two days, I've seen him be able to, when his feet are correct, he's correct. And that's the challenge for him too. And I, some of that, and one of the things that I talked to Jay Gruden in the spring, and when you'd watch some of the practices, there were times where he'd get his arm around, his body around, yep. But his feet are still pointing another yeah. way. Is that kind of what you're yeah, looking it, at? It's one of those, um, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a right. bad thing. You can have a risk reward with that. But here at the next level, um, you got to trust what you see. And sometimes if you bypass something too soon, then you miss an opportunity. So um, it's not necessarily rushing to the next read. It's maybe hanging on that first one a little okay. bit longer, knowing your guy is going to curl in instead of out. And we saw that today. And right. Jay, Jay was able to talk with him and tell him, hey, this guy's breaking in, not breaking out, or this is the tempo of this drop. And then the last thing I could say with, with the throws that I saw in team period was um, you got to be precise with your drops. In this, in this offense, right. in most West Coast offenses, the play is predicated on the quarterback's drop. So if, if that's messed up or altered at all, and, and I'm not talking about the rush, okay? I'm talking about the initial drop. So if you take a three instead of a five, your timing's going to be off. So with those drops, when I'm watching seven on seven sometimes, I was watching the quarterbacks work together. It's good, or the, the uh, individual stuff. Yes. So you're seeing their drops, and sometimes one might be a yard deeper than the other. Is that an indication of anything, or is it just more that's the length of somebody versus someone those, else? That's the secret sauce, right? Okay. That's the secret sauce that a Colt McCoy or a Case Keen right. has been in this league long enough and saying, yeah, I know that on my fifth step, this ball's supposed to come out, but if he gets pressed or he gets jammed, I can hang and not take an extra hitch. There's okay. a big difference between taking an extra hitch step and taking a fifth step and kind of sitting and waiting. Similar to uh, if you were on the pitching mound as a, as a pitcher, you would kind of slow your delivery instead of rush it to home right, plate. Right, right. And that's, and that's right. so is there anything else, when you see this, like, can you tell where he's at or how quickly he could get somewhere, or is it just way too early? even for you to see, knowing how much you do. There were a couple of times today where uh, he wasn't exactly sure, and the only reason I knew that was he would get to a second and third progression and he'd be bouncing in the pocket. And any time okay. that you get rushed or impatient, a lot of things, your, your human nature takes over, you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, and that's where your eye level can change okay. and it can affect accuracy. So as you watch throughout the preseason, just watch his eyes, watch his feet, and are they tied together? If right. they're tied together, oftentimes you don't even have to see where the ball's thrown. You can trust, yeah, that was on time. That was delivered where it was supposed to be. And you, you had told me too that you want, you scout and yeah. study yeah. the NFC East teams. How does this, because of your knowledge of this offense, then how does this offense fit what he does, do you think? I think that he excels in the gun. Mm -hmm. um, I know Jay is a big under center guy for right. the run game. I know that the strength right now early on is not going to be a, a five-step drop right. back game. So how can you merge those things? You know, in talking to Coach O'Connell, um, you know, you'd like to have a lot of options where motion will dictate the coverage and mm -hmm. it will allow the quarterback to eliminate right. what it could be. 
that's a that's a helpful factor for a quarterback. But on the front end of that, the quarterback's got to remember the motion. Right. You know, there's right. so many. You know, there's so many times where. I can guarantee you he's in the huddle and he's trying to get the play called and you go up there and you forget that you got to send a guy in motion. Yeah. Well, if he's able to excel in that area quickly, then honestly the defense will give it away for True. him. And it's like them showing them showing him their, their poker cards. But it is funny you say that though because that's what the quarterback's going because sometimes you go up to the line of scrimmage, you, we don't we can physically see what they're doing, but you Correct. can't mentally see Correct. what's going on in his head because there's got to be like, okay, I called this play yeah. Now on this play, this guy, okay. Right. So you know, can you see that? Pro- can you yeah. see the process yeah. that he's going? I mean, through? I a great example would be just to have a normal NFL play call, you know. And I'll try and give one right now. It's, you know, you got anything? For example, it's like H to set, gun right, spread right, H fifty hot, uh, drive China, F alert, <laughs> on a white one Mustang Dragon. So there's two plays in there. So getting all that out of your mouth. Getting to the line, remembering the snap count, getting the motion. Um, I think early on they sh- they shouldn't, and I don't think they will bog them down with that. Right. Maybe it's a no huddle. Maybe it's getting them with one word play calls where he doesn't have to talk to the line as much. And then gradually over time, just spoof feed him because again, he doesn't want the baby formula. He right. wants the, the the real deal, and he wants to have the challenge set in front of him. And I think over time, as you look at a, the growth of a quarterback, you know. I want to drive the Ferrari, you know, in the preseason, right. but maybe the Ferrari's not ready. So I think patience is going to be the key for Dwayne. Patience is going to be the key for the coaches. Patience is going to be a premium for the fans. Do you? How often are you in contact with him still? Uh, Dwayne is very smart with who he is in his inner circle. Um, if I needed to get in contact with him, I could reach out to somebody else. Um, Quincy Avery's a, a yeah. great contact. And I had for Quincy him. on the podcast. Yeah. Quincy's a great contact for him. I think it's good for a young player to be guarded. I think he has yeah. a good, good circle around him. I yeah. talk to his dad a lot, um, but he, he and he and his dad and I we don't talk about Dwayne as much as we just share scripture with right, each other. Yeah. We talk about you know, hey, how's your family? Right. Um, I don't think Dwayne needs too many people in his circle yeah. that that are, you know, giving him difference of opinions. Sure, I think yeah. that for me, if I if I really needed to reach out to him, I mean, he's the type of kid that he would get back with me. Um, but I'm also a person who believes, like, he got here not for anybody yeah. else but his family and himself. You got one good story on him that shows work or anything like that? Yeah, so uh, after his sophomore year, um, he came to Elite 11, and that was a time where we had rising rising seniors right. that were basically the top guys. Well, Dwayne came out and destroyed them all, just kind of put them – Put him to the side with just how he threw the ball. We got Josh Norman coming through here. That's why it's getting getting loud. (laughs) Um, But the story is just that he was—he's expecting to succeed. Nothing really surprises him. And so, what stands out for me in that—that small clip of just being with him in that sophomore year—is just nothing surprised him, and he was always ready for the moment. Paul, I appreciate your time. Thanks a lot for joining. Thank you, John. Coming up, my final thoughts from this week from Redskins training camp. I'm going to tell you about Dwayne Haskins, a little Trent Williams, and a lot of Chris Thompson. Welcome back. Now, here are my thoughts from the Redskins after four days of practice. 
Okay, so let's go over the Trent Williams situation for a few minutes. I want to get into what we know and what I've heard. Because there's two different things sometimes, and you just got to go by the facts first, and then there's so much that goes on with this. So let's go with what we know. Trent Williams is not in camp. Actions speak louder than words, of course. And I don't, this is my opinion, I don't believe this is about avoiding camp and avoiding Richmond. That's never been his M.O. Um, and I, you know, so that's, that's what we know. Stop right there. I know that he has two years left on his deal, and he could be cut after this year at a $12.7 million savings to the Redskins. In other words, that base salary of $12.5 million is not guaranteed. I also know that some people in the organization, they talked about when this first came out, talked about Antonio Brown, they talked about Le'Veon Bell, guys who use their situation to maybe get different deals or new deals. What I also know is that Trent Williams has not spoken publicly to either confirm or refute any of these reports. His side has been very quiet, and I I would put very in all caps. I'm not going to say I haven't had any contact. I will say I haven't gotten a lot out of that, and I don't think a lot of other people have as well. So a lot of this is left to piece things together based on various other sources and not necessarily directly from Trent. I don't want to say that's 100% true because I don't know that, but I would say that I think his side has been very quiet. Now, here's what I've heard. It's definitely about the medical stuff, and I've always been told that. Now, to what extent? I've heard different things. Could it be used simply to gain leverage? You always have to consider that as a possibility, but I do believe the medical aspect is a driving force. And I've also heard different things about what happened with that, the growth on his head or how it came about in terms of the diagnosis, how long it took, etc. I've always said there's a difference of opinion from the two camps based on what I've gathered. Do I think Trent was scared by the procedure? Yeah, this offseason? Yeah, I I do. That's, again, what I've heard from people who have talked to him and are close to him. I don't think he's, you know, again, what I've gathered, I don't think he's been perfect in terms of his approach to that medical situation either. But until he speaks directly about various things, it's hard to go much further than that, and it's hard to know exactly. Listen, you got to hear from Trent Williams what he really, really wants from this and what he's upset about, and he... Again, you haven't seen anything publicly from him. Now, I'm not going to refute the report about what he's telling teammates. I know the Redskins came out with the statement. Some of that was about you know the Bruce Allen part um, that it's because of Bruce or because there's this big fracture there or can't be repaired. I don't know that part to be true, so I'm not going to comment on that. But again, I've heard things. And I also know some teammates who have talked to him and who perhaps heard what had been reported. They still expect him to show up now. I think that's partly because it's hard to imagine him anywhere else. And so you just assume that he's going to be back, that something will be worked out because they've seen, you know guys have seen stuff happen before. Or you've heard players have said things before and then camp comes or the season comes and you're right back out there and we may not have heard about any of that stuff. There's so much stuff that goes on behind the scenes with these things that it's hard to always know. And it's hard to always just, can you go definitive with it? I don't know. And I'm quite sure many teammates know the situation, but don't want to say anything publicly. And I don't blame them. They're, they don't want. They don't need to be in the middle of this. I think they're saying the right things. Whether it's Morgan Moses, Adrian Peterson, guys that you know are close to him, you know, um, and many others. So I'm not. But I'm not going to put absolutes on anything as far as the resolution of this, or as far as 
you know, if he would never play again or, you know, if can you go that hard? I don't know that I can go there, but I, I'm not going to refute that, that whether he was telling people, whether it's a teammates or in the organization. Um, because, again, you just hear so much stuff with this. But I, I have to stress, Trent is the key here. And he's been quiet. So, again, actions speak louder than words. But I just I want I don't want to go crazy with certain things, whether it's again refuting or confirming, because I just think I think it's a little bit tougher than that, at least from mine. And um, and and that's where we are. And like your, your reporting has to take you to a certain place. And a lot of guys just aren't saying a whole lot. Um, and I think, again, even guys who maybe, you know, who have talked to him the offseason still might say that. They still expect maybe something to work out here. I don't know if that's going to happen, and they don't know either. I think there's a lot of hopefulness that that's what the outcome will be. And is it realistic? We'll find out. I don't think the Redskins are inclined to extend him. I don't know that for sure. Um, I think one thing to keep in mind here, he does have the two years. He's going to be 33 at the end of the deal. Um, do you want to give a couple more years to a guy who has had a lot of injury problems throughout his career, as good as he's been, as great as he's been? He has had those injury issues, and so I don't know that that's going to be what they would do. The other thing to keep in mind is Ryan Kerrigan has two years left on his deal as well. If they extend Trent, I can almost guarantee you that the next knock on the door will come from Kerrigan's side and saying, hey, what about us? He's been out there for every game for his career, so I think – he can you can you can project him to be maybe a more of what he is now at that time. I think with Trent has been great, probably the Redskins' best player for several years. But if you looked at free, let's go. Let's say that Trent was with another team and the Redskins were deciding whether or not to sign him. If you took a guy right now in his early 30s, has an injury history and is expensive, that is not a guy they would give a multi-year deal to. Is that would it be different because he's one of their own? I don't know, but. I think right now that would be my guess, but I don't know that. You know, again, nobody's. I haven't had enough people tell me that for sure. That's just that's just an analysis on my end. And maybe they would give him more guaranteed money for next year. I think I don't know if that would appease them or not. But I think that's if you're talking money, that's one thing that could be done because I think that's an easier thing to do at this point. My analysis again, this is not based on whatever, but I don't think this will get resolved anytime soon. It's certainly not. I don't expect Trent Williams to show up in training camp. And I don't know when the end game is. I really don't. I don't think anybody else really does either. I think this could be a little bit of a game of chickens. The Skins feel he'll show up when the threat of missing checks starts to occur, which is start of the season. If he doesn't, then the Skins will have to react accordingly, whether that's to trade him or just keep him around. I don't know his trade value. I don't think you get dollar-for-dollar exchange here in terms of value because of his age and injuries and because they're kind of forced into a corner. Again, I don't know that for sure because I haven't talked to every team. I don't talk to teams that are interested in him. So I don't know that to be true. And I don't know that they're going to want to do that. You, you have a coaching staff that needs this guy. Um, it's not an ideal way to end the season, especially with the issues on the left side of the line. In the offseason, I was all for letting Ty Inseki walk because I thought he's going to be, you know, he's going to get a chance to start somewhere else and he was going to be more expensive for a backup. He's had it, he's the age, he's had injury issues too. So I'm like, okay, but. Hearing what we've heard since, I think I would have pushed harder to keep him around or I would have maybe drafted another tackle if I were them. Um, and they knew things at that time that could have led them to do that. Not everybody there did, but I know people. some people there did. And so um, 
whether why they didn't, I don't know. Uh, maybe they still feel confident that that maybe it's about their feeling of confidence that eventually this will get resolved and he'll be back out there. I don't know. We'll, we will see. What I do know is they do not have a viable starting option on the roster right now. Now, a couple observations from the first couple days of practice. Talked a lot about Dwayne Haskins with um, early, an earlier guest, so I don't need to go into too much there. I do like how he's progressing throughout camp. Um, I do think that he's a, he still, in their eyes, has a ways to go. I stress this. It's not just because he has to learn a new offense like Case Keenum does. It's because he has to learn so much more of the operational aspects of the position at the NFL level. Cadence, getting that down. That's a big deal. Getting the play down. And that's important because you've got, you, know, you go up to the line of scrimmage, you're thinking about all these plays. What if you have motion? What if you, and the motion is going to kind of confirm what the def- or, or force the defense to show its hand and you forget to call the motion? That happens because you've got so much going on in your head. The, um, calling the checks, the alerts, doing it at the right time. There's a play in practice where he made an alert and the guy, guys on the line jumped because it probably was a next sound situation and he made the next sound and they jumped. And so there's little things like that, and it's a big deal. So when he gets to that point, I think you're going to see a big payoff for them. It's just going to take a little time, and I don't have any problems with them not rushing him. And do not overreact. If you see some good throws in practice, if he has a good day, please know he still has a ways to go, but he is progressing. And and I think the concern would be if he did not look good or or, or did not look good at times and have some good days like I thought he had Sunday, I think that would be a bigger issue, but I do like how he's progressing, and I think there's reason to feel good as of right now about what you've seen from him. It doesn't mean he's going to be ready, that he should start. You don't just throw a guy out there and say because he's the future. You've got to put him out there when you have a chance to succeed. You've got to give him that opportunity, and that is going to come from increasing his knowledge of the offense, but he is a smart kid, and he does work hard, and he does ask a lot of questions. That all bodes well for him. A couple other guys. Chris Thompson. I like what I've seen from him. I think if Thompson and Jordan Reed, and I know when every time you bring up those names, you got to cross fingers and toes, those guys have both looked good. At this time a year ago, Jordan Reed had just started a run again, and Chris Thompson was very, very limited and admitted that his leg was bothering him still. And he told me the other day that there wasn't a day last year where he really felt healthy. And there were games that he played where in pregame, he almost went to the coaches and said, I can't play today. That's what he was dealing with. So he's not dealing with that anymore, and neither is Reed. This offense is in a much better spot in that regard than it was a year ago because my concern a year ago was too many of these key guys were coming off surgeries. It's a hard way to go. The fact that those two are out there, I like some of the energy and what I've seen from some of the young receivers. I think in, you know, over time they could develop into something positive. When that happens, I don't know. But what I do know, the base of this offense is going to is it starts with Jordan Reed, Chris Thompson, and I'll throw Trey Quinn in there. Get those inside guys, but especially those two, Reed and Thompson. On today, they look they have looked good. Where it goes, we'll see. I know what everybody's saying, but it's not just Jordan Reed who has a struggle struggle to stay healthy. But those guys make a difference, and they're off to a good start. Good start. That's what it is. Um, Landon Collins, one little observation about him is the guy is ripped. He's got big arms. He's got really big legs. It's, it's unusual strength for a safety, it seems. Um, and, I, you know, as far as how he's looking in camp, you know, it's hard to tell with safeties because you really need to see him in a game and see how they're reacting, see how he's being used. They are using him in some single high um, 
cover, coverage situations, and he's done a pretty good job in that area. He breaks well on the ball, seems to have a good idea of what's coming, etc. So I think that's all positive. But let's see how it goes in a game. But I'll just say, like, the things you know is, like, his approach is really good. I think it's what they need. It's really good for that locker room. And the guy is ripped. There you go. Um, one rookie I brought up, Ross Piercebacher, the other day. Another rookie I want to look at is Cole Holcomb. I like what I've seen from him. I think he, I think he has a chance to develop over time into a quality player for them. But he's got some quickness, and you can see that. You can see him getting to the hole sometimes um, pretty quick. You, you know, coverage. I think it's not just about speed; it's about understanding leverage. I always thought that was something that you know some other linebackers who have speed. You know, if you have that and you're not good in coverage, it's usually because you're not understanding leverage. Um, or have an idea of what they're trying to do to you. So I think he's got some ways to go there. But, I, but there are times where I see him making some plays, and I think it's because of that quickness and diagnosis. And I saw, you see some of that from Sean Dion Hamilton as well. So we'll see how it goes. But I think it's, it's been, a, again, a positive start for him. And then the last, you know, one of the last things I'll talk about is the left side of the line. Again, I said there's no viable option. Eric Flowers looks like he does, has in the past. You know, sometimes you see that power. Sometimes you see the length. But he doesn't use his feet consistently well, and I think it gets him into trouble. He bends at the waist a lot. I think they need to get him inside to guard as soon as they can because I think ultimately that's his spot. I think they need to keep looking for a left tackle. And I think whether it's Donald Penn, and I know there's still still a possibility there from what I understand. Left Richmond, so there's nothing imminent, but I don't think this, the sides certainly did not break off talks. It just was something that he's not, he wasn't ready to commit or they weren't ready to give him the money to commit. But I don't think the talks are, are done at all. And like rookie Wes Martin at guard, want to see him in a game. You know, you see, you know, just, it's hard. It's really hard to tell. And I, I, don't, I don't know that I look at him and say, oh, he's guaranteed starter right now. That's why I think you need to get Flowers in there to see who will be that guy. Um, I think it would be tough to have a, a Martin-Flowers combination on the left side. All the positives will go out not a lot of them will go out the window because I think that'd be a tough way to enter the season for them so I'll be curious to see if they do anything there anyways that's it for now um, thank you for listening thank you to Paul Troth for joining me to talk about Dwayne Haskins thank you to Jonathan Allen and as always thank you for listening and tune in next time